strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, the reports that continue to come in about the border and the cities that are struggling with it, we've chronicled this, but the reason why it's still important to keep at the forefront is we still haven't found a solution. I, I want to be clear. Um, we were happy to have Senator Sinema on to talk about her plan that she had come up with with a Republican and a Democrat. So you had Republican, Democrat, independent working on framework of a piece of legislation that they believe would be a step in the right direction to secure the border. Senator Sinema, raised in southern Arizona, um, understands the issue because she grew up there and lived there, came up with this framework, and she believed if it got to the floor of the Senate for debate, if they could have come up with a piece of legislation acceptable in the United States Senate that would have passed, put pressure on the House to pass one as well. It never made it out of the Senate. To be fair, it was Republicans and Democrats that were against it for opposite reasons, but were against it. And it shows you the divide in the far left and the far right on the border issue. Talking with um, uh, Representative um, Biggs, Andy Biggs, uh, about this. Uh, uh, he, Congressman Biggs said that there it, there were some things in it that potentially were good, but it didn't go far enough. We talked with Congressman Siskamani from Southern Arizona, also somebody who has lived there for a very long time, is a naturalized citizen, has gone through the immigration process, who admitted on the show our immigration system is broken, but we have to secure the border. He didn't think this went far enough to secure the border. So I start this conversation there by saying – We had a group of people that thought it was a good idea, but what it turned into is now back to the same old politics we've seen before. If you didn't vote for it, if you didn't think it was enough, you've now proven that you don't care about fixing the border. Therefore, you're just a political hack. That's what one side said. The other side back in there saying it doesn't go far enough. We need more. Well, I would submit to you that this is something we can't give up on because of the headlines that we're going to talk about. Uh, I want you to hear local ABC News talking about the migrant groups um, that are uh, causing creating crimes in communities across the country. The latest theft unfolded at this Ulta on February 1st. We've obtained video from inside the store that shows two men walk inside, both with distinct white patches hanging from their back pockets. Two males come in. Police say they helped steal $2,000 worth of merchandise. They were identified as Albert Terralba Jordan and Caviar Gilarte Campos, both from Venezuela, and police say both entered the U.S. illegally. Now, the police chief has identified three different groups of people that have come into the U.S. and are now part of this organized retail theft in these cities. They're taking advantage of, you know, coming to the United States and committing these crimes and uh, being able to disappear to some degree. West Whiteland Police Detective Scott Pizik has noticed a trend in recent months. He's identified at least three of these groups where the suspects cross the border illegally. So now, how much have they stolen? How much has been stolen in the past month? Even though the border is nearly 2,000 miles away, police say it's having an impact here. In June, this man was caught on surveillance at Coles and Exton. Police say he stole $17,000 worth of merchandise. The Peruvian national was arrested and deported in the fall, but he's already back. Recently, I was contacted by a federal agency just alerting me that he was back in the country. But, uh, I mean, that was less than a month, and then he's back in the United States. This is the border security issue right now. I want you to hear a statistic. 
73% of surveyed Democrats rate the government's handling of the influx of migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border somewhat or very bad. Democrats disapprove of the U.S. government's handling of the migrant crossings at the southern border now more than at any other recorded point during the Biden presidency, according to this new report from the Pew Research Center. 73% rate the government's handling of the influx somewhat bad or very bad. The numbers from the report released Thursday mark a grim trend. Last year, it was recorded 62% of Democrats disapproved of the handling, up from 56% the year before. So every single year, the rating of this presidency on handling the border issue has declined within his own party. Now let's talk about the possible silver lining. The possible silver lining is, does this mean if the president wants to win re-election, that he's going to have to do more than talk tough? The president's press conference, when he talked about the border bill, that didn't pass in the Senate, didn't convince anyone. It was actually, I'm sorry, it was laughable for him to say that the country is going to know that the border is not secure because of Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans. People laughed in his own party. They laughed. That is absolutely, it is an unprovable thing. The fact that they didn't pass the bill as it was first drafted should not be the end. It should be the beginning. Why wouldn't you, if you are serious about this, and I mean both sides of the aisle, why wouldn't a Juan Siscomani, and he may have done this, and Senator Sinema may have done this. I don't know. I'm not privileged. I'm not privy to that information. But why wouldn't Congressman Siscomani say to Senator Sinema, you know, I have the ear of the people in the House on this issue, and there were some things in that piece of legislation that were very worthwhile. Why don't we use this as a starting point to get to something that I'm telling you that you could do in the Senate that we could pass in the House and vice versa? Why wouldn't Senator Sinema go to the Arizona delegation in the House, go to go to Biggs and go to Siscomani and go to others and say, these are things we think are valuable and good that we can get passed with Democrats in the Senate, but what is needed to pass with Republicans in the House? And when they start negotiating, you know there are going to be things where Senator Sinema is going to say that's never going to fly. You know as well as I do that if we try to get this in this piece of legislation, we're going to lose all the Democratic support that we need. So let's be realistic. What is it that's going to work? What is truly going to secure the border that we can get both sides? That's what a leader does. That's what a negotiator does. Taking the first step and getting a first piece of legislation that failed in the Senate and giving up is not the way to go. Now, I am not calling her. I'm not calling her out and calling her a bad leader. I'm saying good leadership stands up and says, this is an important enough issue. I'm not giving up. This is what disappointed me about all of this. Chuck Schumer, the, the who, who is, you know, obviously runs the Senate. When it came to the the bill that they passed in the Senate. On aid to Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan said this is such an important piece of legislation, not only for our national security, but for the national security of our allies and the national security of the Western world, that we are not leaving this chamber until we get something done. And within 24 hours, they passed something out of the United States Senate because he put his foot down and said, we are not leaving. Where is that same resolve on the border? Where is that same resolve of standing up and saying, do you want to talk about real national security issues for our country? We are not leaving this chamber until we get a piece of legislation to the floor for debate 
You can even use the original framework, take out some of what was bad, or put in more of what's good to get people to get agree to debate. Start there, get amendments on that piece of legislation, and put something together that the Senate can pass. At the same time, negotiate with the Juan Siscomanis and the Andy Biggs and the other people in the House on a piece of legislation that works there. If it's that important, if national security, you mean to tell me there's no way you can convince me or anybody else that remotely pays attention that the national security concerns of the U.S. are better fit, are better fixed or, or better strengthened by helping Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan than they are by securing the southern border of the United States. I will tell you, I think foreign aid in this regard is an important part of diplomacy and an important part of international relationships. I am a staunch supporter of Israel. They should have our full support. I support all of that. But you can't convince me that that is equally as important or more important to national security than securing the southern border. We need the same kind of resolve and the same the same kind of dedication that they put into that piece of legislation on the border. And I haven't seen it. And that's what's that's what's frustrating is we continue to see uh, the arguing going on. But nobody is saying we're sitting down and we're hammering this out. We'll see. Hopefully it's going to happen soon. All right. Coming up in a moment, we do this every day at 1120. It's how we catch you up on the biggest news stories. We call it. Did you hear this? We'll do it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, let's catch up on the biggest news stories of the day. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Hickman joined this morning. Uh, to discuss his reasoning for not seeking re-election, and he commented on the lack of public service interest because of the election woes. Bad behaviors are driving the best and keeping them away from giving their service to this community, And um, but, but they didn't drive me out. Do you agree with him that the election hubbub the last few years is deterring people from wanting to serve? I think it's the vitriol in elections that's doing it. And yeah, I agree with him in that regard. I think there are a lot of people that would be happy to serve under different circumstances, but the scrutiny that they have and then the war of words, especially within your own party at times, and this happens on both sides, where it becomes so ugly and vitriolic and personal that it makes people say, I don't want to put my family through this. I don't want to go through this kind of scrutiny. I want to talk about the issue. The personal attacks need to be set aside. And I do think that it takes some people that would gladly serve and takes them out of the running because they just don't want to go through it. So I think in that regard, he's right. Queen Creek police chief spoke with Ashley Holden with ABC 15, and he commented on the recent release of the coroner's report for Preston Lord, the teen that had died after being jumped at a Halloween party last year, and the coroner labeling his death a homicide. This, it just corroborates the information that we've already received, the evidence that we've gathered, the interviews, all the stuff that we've already submitted to the county attorney. Are you encouraged by the progress being made and the conversations being had? Yeah, I am, and I'm glad that the more people are speaking out 
more people are submitting videos, more people are identifying people in videos, more suspects have been identified and arrested. I think all of that's important, and I think maybe it's going to lead to an arrest in this case. And the reason why a lot of this takes a long time is the coroner's report. They've got to do toxicology and other things that take a certain amount of time, but it gives one more cog in the wheel. It's one more step in the right direction for closure, and hopefully they're going to get that for this family. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at 1120 to catch you up on the big headlines. Vice President Kamala Harris made her way to Munich for the security conference and is trying to reassure European allies that America is still there for them following former President Trump's comment that he will have NATO allies pay their bills, but also asking the American people if we're going to keep with the tradition. Whether it is in America's interest to continue to engage with the world or to turn inward, whether it is in our interest to defend long-standing rules and norms that have provided for unprecedented peace and prosperity or to allow them to be trampled. Can we walk and pay our bills at the same time? Or when it comes to foreign aid, is it just all or nothing? I think that, um, again, I don't know the specifics. I'm not I've never been the president of the United States. But having allies know that we have their back is something that is important to the world, not just to our allies, but to their enemies and our enemies, that we are going to be a united front when trouble comes. At the same time, we all have a responsibility to each other to make sure that that happens. But we also have to do it in a way that's fair to everyone. And I think that. That's the issue at hand is, is it the way it's broken up now with the balance of power and the balance of financial responsibility? Is it fair? And if not, how can we make it fair? I think that's a fair question to ask, but we can never say that we are not going to be there for our allies. Be happy you weren't flying from Amsterdam to Detroit on Tuesday. Philip Schott was aboard Flight 133 as it made its way west. Somewhere over England, a fellow passenger started acting strangely. He was very freaked out. In the empty seat next to her, Schott says... I saw eventually that there were maggots. ...falling from the luggage compartment. The larvae were traced to a specific bag containing rotten fish wrapped in paper. On a scale of one to burn it all down, how would you react? Um, first of all, let me apologize to everybody on their way to lunch. I, I apologize. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, I think the story's great, but ugh, this is, I don't get, I don't get uh, squeamish very often. Uh, and the maggot thing made me a little squeamish. Rotten fish wrapped in paper. Ugh, now I'm out. Yeah, that's I, gross enough. I am out. Yes, this is absolutely <laughs> gross. You can't. I don't know how you how that got on the plane when they do the screening process. How do they not know someone had rotten fish in their bag? I know. But um, I someone guess, needs to do a movie on that. And it's a cultural difference too. I don't know how many Americans are flying with rotten fish in their bag. I don't. I don't know. I don't know either. But it was. <laughs> All right. I'm I'm gonna lay off lunch today. I think it's certainly not gonna be fish. Great job, Jessica. We will pick it up again, or at least I will on Tuesday because I'll be off on Monday for President's Day. Kristen Bentz is in for me, but a great job, Jess. What we're going to do in a moment is we're going to shift gears because there is new information that is out about the shooting in St. Louis, Missouri. Two arrests have been made. We're going to give you that update coming up in a moment. Stick around. 
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, thanks for being here. Happy Friday. As you just heard Jeff report in the news, there have been two minors, two juveniles that have been charged in connection with the shootings in Kansas City. A couple of things that are significant in this. I'm going to read some quotes. The juveniles are currently detained in secure detention of the Juvenile Detention Center on gun-related charges and resisting arrest. Further charges may be forthcoming. And here's the quote. It is anticipated that additional charges are expected in the future as investigation by the Kansas City Police Department continues. Here's what it tells you. They wanted to make sure the charges were brought so that these kids remained in custody. Number one. So they charged them what they know they can convict them on. They have not yet charged them with more serious charges until they watch all the video. They get all the testimony, all of the ballistics and everything that, you know, they go in from the crime scene investigation investigation and they can put the guns in these kids hands and have them firing those guns when they have a solid case it sounds like their charges are going to be coming here's the second part we have zero information on these kids so it makes me wonder what their ages are because we haven't heard you know, normally you would hear two juveniles are in custody or a 15 year old and a 16 year old. Now, that doesn't mean that these kids are going to be very, very, very young, but it is strange that we have no information. We're probably never going to hear their names unless they're charged as adults. I don't know that for sure, but it seems to me they would keep their identity hidden. But we don't know their ages. We don't know their criminal background. Um, one of the things about some of our laws that's concerning is that um the system, people that are in the system know the system. So here's what I mean. For years and years now, gangs have known that juveniles have a less, a, a much less likelihood of spending any time in jail when they commit crimes. So they would use teenagers, they would use juveniles, younger kids, sometimes even younger than teenagers, to carry their drugs and to carry their money and to be their kind of their uh, couriers because they knew if these kids were caught, it was going to happen to them three, four, five, six times before they ever saw a jail cell. Um, I'm not calling it good or bad. I'm making an observation. When I was younger, and I know other cities have had it, but when I was younger, there were groups of juveniles that were in the GTA club, Grand Theft Auto, and I'm sure that every city in the country had them. But these were kids that were 13, 14 years old stealing cars, and they were doing it, and they were getting away with it because at that young age, you have so many second chances at, at straightening your life out before they give you a criminal record. And even then, it's a juvenile criminal record that ends and is, is squashed when you're 18 years old. Sometimes that's a double-edged sword. We don't want a, a mistake of a young person to follow them for the rest of their life. When that's part of the reason for this is that when you do dumb things, I was a dumb teenager. I didn't steal cars. I wasn't committing crimes, but I did dumb stuff as a teenager. Do you really want what you do as a teenager to follow you for the rest of your life? But on the other side of that, when you become savvy to the system, when you are a young person that realizes nothing is going to happen to you, you are 10 feet tall and bulletproof. You become a lot more brazen in the things that you do. Um, and that's a concern here. I don't have any clue as to the criminal record of these young people. But most of the time, I will tell you, a young person doesn't just all of a sudden start carrying a gun. 
It just doesn't happen. It's a progression in their life of the people that they're hanging around. And when they start getting in beefs with people where lives are threatened, they start carrying guns. But the idea that one of these people or both of these people that are charged would open fire into a crowd shows you a level of detachment that should concern all of us. So they're going to be charged with crimes. The chances are, I don't know what age they are, the chances are they're not going to serve jail time beyond, even though it's murder. This is a murder case because someone has died. And you've got, what, 20-some people that have been injured. They're probably not going to serve any jail time beyond their 18th birthday. So I don't know how old they are. I don't know how long that would be. In addition to that, what other crimes have they committed where we may never know? I don't know what the laws are in Missouri. But you have to ask yourself, what is going to what's the outcome? Because we don't know anything about them. We don't know their ages. We don't know their criminal history. And all of that should play a role in what happens in the adult world. We know that happens. And is there going to be justice for the victims here? If this just turns out to be a bunch of idiot kids beefing and it turns into a gunfight, There's got to be a clear message sent. How do you send that message within the confines of the juvenile justice laws? And I think it's a good question. And I don't know how consistent those laws are nationwide. If you've shown yourself, and I would guess, I don't know this, but if these were people with a criminal history that's fairly significant and they were older teenagers, 16, 17 years old, the choice might be to try them as adults. So it could be a combination of the of everything I just talked about, or it could be one or the other, that either they're younger juveniles, so the idea of treating them as adults is off the table, or their criminal record isn't that extensive, or both, so that they're not going to be charged as adults. But justice is what needs to be had here, and a message to the community. Every city in this country deals with this with gangs with uh, and I will just from the the brief conversations and the casual conversations I've had with gang cops it is much younger people with a complete disregard for human life you are coupling the influence they have of hardened gangbangers with the juvenile or the immature emotional level of a young person and not understanding their consequences i mean that's what you get You get that all the time. Kids that do dumb things that end up causing big problems. Kids that do dumb things in the woods and set fires that end up causing thousands of acres and damage have no concept that when they were goofing around with matches, they were going to burn the house down. Or they were going to, that's part of being an immature person. You couple that with a bad influence of people that have no concern for human life. This is the kind of stuff you get. And I guarantee you that there's not a gang cop in our community that doesn't struggle with that and see that happening all the time. How do you find a positive influence on someone's life when a young person believes that what love and dedication is is what they're seeing in the gangs and murders that are happening in the street? But doesn't this change the narrative of this conversation from where we were the day that it happened? Where we were the data that happened was mass shootings and terrorists and gun control and all of these other things. And now it's going to shift as what's going on in the community where young people not only are carrying guns, which they're not entitled to carry. It's against the law for them to carry. A, why do they have them? B, how did they get them? And what in the world would motivate a young person to shoot into a crowd?
Uh, those are the questions we now are going to wrestle with as a society. And I would say that here in the Valley, it's something we should be wrestling with as well. We've got violence in the East Valley, which includes beating and the death of one person. And they're struggling with that kind of cultural influence there, uh, the gang mentality, the pack mentality of beating an innocent person down or uh, someone that's by themselves or you're way outnumbered. Now imagine this mentality. Imagine the mentality of people shooting at each other and hitting innocent people in a crowd. It's a scary proposition. All right, before I close out my week, we're going to shift back to the economy. Uh, The IRS is saying so far this year, tax uh, refunds are down 29% from last year. We've got the PPI has come in in addition to the CPI. And one expert is saying the U.S. is headed toward recession. We're going to talk about all that coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, a few minutes left in our work week, and then we're off until Tuesday. We'll be off for President's Day. Kristen Bentz will be in for me on Monday. I hope you'll be as nice to her as you are to me. She does a great job when she fills in, and I'm sure she's going to have a lot to talk about in what I'm going to talk about now and and probably have much more depth of information because that's our world. Uh, the PPI came out, which is the producer price index. That's the people that make the goods that you and I consume. And it is costing more money in food production and in energy production. Now, we have watched a moderation in fuel prices. I guess yesterday, um, oil prices backed down a little bit, but there is big concern in what's happening. And I'm gonna go in a couple of different areas here. Um, there have been concerned by many states and many states are pushing back against the White House because the White House has made some major decisions in the energy world. Three big projects in natural gas have been, have been uh, set aside, have been canceled. And the reason why the White House canceled them was because of the potential. They even admitted they don't know whether or not it's going to affect climate change adversely. But until they find out, they're canceling the programs. Well, what that does is enriches Russia. By the way, the president talking about Russia and saying that Putin is definitely behind the death of his adversary in prison. But the Russian um, their their wealth is increased because of how much natural gas is sold from Russia and how the prices remain high and can be dictated by people like this and what it's going to do when they have to sell to European countries and others. So instead of offsetting that with U.S. production and the potential for U.S. production, we're seeing this happen. I think that's going to have an adverse effect on fuel prices, especially in Europe and the deep recession our our, our European allies are in. So we are not helping in that regard. And these kinds of programs, another has been in leases for offshore drilling. In releasing the number of leases, it's the bare minimum over the next five years. You've got oil companies pushing back on that as well, saying these limitations are going to hurt production. The, there's a reason why these fuel costs keep going up, and I think we're going to see higher costs in the future because of this. That's just my opinion. The other side of this is food production. Food production continues to be very expensive. Food inflation remains very high. When you have inflation in other areas, it can be managed by people. And what I mean by that is you can navigate it, but your family's got to eat. 
Food production has become so expensive, and it goes back to, in my opinion, the, the huge fuel cost increases because it costs you money. It costs you money for fuel to plant crops, to harvest crops, and to deliver crops. Fuel is a big part of what they do when it costs more money in the beef industry. Um, there was just a story from a rancher that said all of this talk of climate change and the effect that cattle has on climate change and this anti-beef push across the world is damaging and hurtful and may even be immensely detrimental to the beef production industry. We have a lower amount of beef now than we've had since the 1970s. The cost of feeding beef cattle has more than doubled in many cases. So all of that is leading to keeping food prices very, very high. That's what families are struggling with. As a matter of fact, the uh, the chief economist for the city, Citibank, Citigroup in the U.S., the U.S. chief economist says the U.S. is headed for a recession just like Europe is already in one. We are seeing layoffs in the in, in the sectors such as the chip industry. Nike is laying off as they reorganize. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to see this huge crash, and I'm not predicting it, and I'm certainly not hoping for it. But this is what the experts are saying. Over the last couple of weeks, we have heard Jerome Powell, who is the head of the Fed, has come out and said, we stay away from policy. We do our best to stay away from policy. But when he was pushed on the topic of debt, he said the U.S. is on an unsustainable fiscal path with the amount of debt our government is creating. The head of uh, the former CEO of Home Depot has said exactly the same thing. We have unsustainable national debt. The Congressional Budget Office, which is absolutely nonpartisan, said the exact same thing, that we are on a pathway now to spend more money as Americans on our debt interest, not just what we pay back in our debt. The interest on our debt is going to be more than the budget for national defense. At some point, we have to wake up for this. So if the American economy heads into a recession, which means the tax rolls, the tax amount, taxable amount of the tax that they take in in the Treasury goes down because business is shrinking, what does this mean? What does all of this mean? And that, to me, is a bigger part of this issue. And we all have to start looking at it. Reagan's quote, you're going to hear me say it if you listen to the show every time I talk about this topic. We do not have high inflation because the people are living too well. We have high inflation because the government is living too well. The government is pointing at industry. They blame the fossil fuel industry for high fuel prices. They blame the grocery industry for high food prices. But when you look at the cost of production, it goes up everywhere. Devalue the dollar by printing money, borrow and borrow and borrow and borrow money, which sends us further into debt. We've got more debt to pay, adds to inflation as well. These are just realistic things that happen. It shouldn't be partisan. If you're listening to me and you're a Democrat, how do you disagree with the fact that we are looking at almost $35 trillion in debt? You can blame Trump for part of it. You can do whatever you want. That's fine. It's still the federal government continuing down that path. The government continues to grow under this president. How do you say we continue to grow government when it's where it's at? That's what we all should be talking about. Join hands, rein it in, and get back on track before our grandkids have to try to solve this problem. 
You hear the music. We're out of time for the week, which means this is where I give you my social media pitch. If you are, uh, if you use X or Twitter, at uh, Broomhead KTAR is my personal account. At Broomhead Show updates you on guests and what we have on the show. Please follow both accounts and keep in touch. I love to stay in touch that way. And if you're an Instagram user, Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram, please follow me. We'll be in touch on the weekend. Thanks for spending part of your week with us. Have a great weekend. We'll be back on Tuesday. Until then, God bless.